1: Did the witch of Amesbury have anything to do with creating the Geico Gecko? And the famous slogan, Virginia is for lovers. Stephen Hawley Martin, a former principal of the international ad firm behind those and other campaigns you have seen on television, says he believes she actually played a role. He says that being the direct descendant of someone who was hanged for witchcraft and hearing about it frequently while growing up caused him and his brother David, who co-founded the firm, think differently about the world and reality, and to take more risks than most people would. Those characteristics, Stephen says, can lead not only to creating a successful business, but to advertising that breaks through the clutter. Valeria Telles interview Stephen Hawley Martin, the author of The Witch of Amesbury, and Matriarch of an Advertising Dynasty. Best-selling author Stephen Hawley Martin has had more than a half dozen titles achieve bestseller status on Amazon.com and is the only three-time winner of the Writer's Digest Book Award, having won first prize twice for fiction and once for nonfiction. He also has won a first prize for visionary fiction from independent publisher and a first prize for nonfiction from USA Book News. In all, he has written 17 books under his own name and has ghostwritten a half dozen more, Including a memoir for a $2.5 billion in sales tech company CEO, a best selling business management title for another tech company CEO, and two titles for consultants in the Six Sigma and Lean production arena. For two years, he hosted a successful weekly internet talk radio show, The Truth About Life, which averaged 30,000 listener downloads per episode. A former advertising agency president and CEO, he is currently editor and publisher for the Oaklea Press. Click here to visit the Oaklea Press website, where you can learn how Stephen can help bring your book or your book idea to market. Meet Stephen at shmartin.com and oaklea.press.com. Here is the interview with Stephen Holly Martin.
0: In your own words, who is Stephen Hawley Martin?
2: Stephen Holly Martin. Well, Stephen Hawley Martin is a uh, eternal spirit who's having a temporary physical experience, and I'm enjoying it very much, and I'm so happy to be here today. But spent most of my adult life uh, as an advertising executive uh, with a firm called the Martin Agency. We uh, this the agency that created the Geico Gecko and some other campaigns like Virginia's for Lovers. And uh, after I sold my interest and also had another agency for a while, I, I, I didn't retire, but I decided I'd do something I'd always wanted to do, and that's uh, write books. And I've been very interested in in the paranormal and and um, what the true nature of reality is, and although I've written some business books and some novels, I've written a number of them, a number of books on uh, metaphysical kind of investigations, and and that's, I hope what we're going to talk about today is The uh, Witch of Amesbury, which is uh, one of my recent books that's about my ancestor, Susanna North Martin, who was one of the women who was hanged for witchcraft back in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692. So there you go.
0: Yeah, that caught my attention, what you just said about the investigations and explorations into the uh, the true nature of reality. What are your latest discoveries or insights in that, Stephen?
2: Well, I think the uh, the main thing that has come become pretty clear to me in the last few years, and I write about it in a couple of my books. I've got a new one out, by the way, that is about how to achieve joy and in this life and bliss in the afterlife and uh my i guess the the thing that jumps out of me is that we are all one that there is one consciousness of which we are all part that we all came from and really is at the core of every one of us i mean we all have our egos and our memories that we've built up and uh, our subconscious minds that come from actually many incarnations. But uh, at the very core, we are all the same reality. We are all one. And uh, when we start looking at things that way, it'll change how we Operate in the world. And we're gonna. It's hard not to be, to go by the golden rule when you realize that you and everyone else are really all the same life that is expressing itself in different ways. So that's kind of, I guess, my my main revelation in the last uh, ten years or so.
0: Yeah, that resonates um, with me very much. The idea that energy, life itself, it's just something that is. Um, from the intellectual perspective, is really the unknown, isn't it? I keep saying that because it, it keeps coming to me, that message.
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it, everything is energy. Mat- you know, back in the 19th century, even before that, scientists started uh, the idea that everything is matter, at, that there's nothing beyond the physical world. And that, Anybody who has studied quantum physics, quantum mechanics, knows that really matter as they thought of it doesn't really exist. Everything is energy. Everything is vibrations. Everything is little quarks and, you know, subatomic particles moving around very rapidly. There's no such thing really as solid stuff. It's all energy. And we're energy. This is energy. It's really the foundation of it all is consciousness and that everything comes from that. And it's all energy, just as you said. So there you go.
0: And surprises me, Stephen, that we create this, we have this sense of solidity when it comes to identification, our personalities. That really amazes me how we come to be so solid when it, it relates to the me, to the I, this contracted energy that's within us.
2: Well, it's 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 an illusion, you know. in the In the East, they, in the Eastern religions like uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, they call it Maya, which is the illusion that we're separate from everything else. When in fact, everything is one giant seamless whole. Uh, there's really nothing that's separate from anything else. Uh, we're all connected, uh, even even the physical. You know, if you if you look at something. Under a really strong microscope, you can see that it's, it's hard to see where it really ends and where something else begins because it all sort of blends together. It's just energy presenting itself and it looks solid. And we th- think we're separate because we do have this ego that developed over uh, many incarnations. And, and, and of course, certainly this one, it was from the time we were a child. And so we think we're separate. But we're that's really an illusion. If we can step back, and observe the world from what I call the silent observer, which is what's in the back of your mind, kind of step outside yourself and watch yourself go around doing whatever you're doing. That is the real you. That's the part that you can tell your ego, uh, "We're not going. I'm not going to let you trap me into getting into this argument with somebody, you know, <laughs> or whatever, if you see what I mean.
0: So um, I'll be asking you specific questions about your book, The Witch, of Emsbury, matriarch of an advertising dynasty. Before that, I have um, an open question for you. What is witchcraft from your perspective?
2: Well, now that's a very uh, good question and an interesting question because witchcraft as uh, it was seen back in the 17th century when this uh, ancestor of mine lived and was hanged as a witch is not the same as I would say people view it today. Witchcraft back then was basically magic, the idea of working magic, of casting spells, of uh, making a pact with the devil or, you know, cursing somebody. Whereas nowadays, I think modern idea of witchcraft is more Wicca, which is really more positive. It's that, that as i understand it is more like a pantheistic religion where the uh, wiccan realizes or knows that all is one and that uh, that the spirit of life the what i call consciousness transcends everything that uh, and their idea as i understand it again is to only do good because they realize that karma is real what you give out comes back to you eventually so you don't want to give out bad stuff and have it come back to you obviously that would be stupid but uh, no the ancient uh, the the uh, 17th century idea of witchcraft was basically magic and it was to that the witch was had was trying to uh, manipulate for her own or his own good. There were a couple of uh, men who were also accused as uh, being witches or wiccans, and not wiccans, um, wizards. And so they might put a curse on somebody's cow to get back at them, you know, or they might uh, attack people they didn't like in the night, you know, their spectrum would go out, their ghost, their their uh, spirit would go out and torture people, things like that. So that that's the difference, I understand it, uh, Valerina.
0: Yeah, so that has something to do with, um, uh, in general, with kind of, um, let's say, working with the invisible forces, isn't it? Like the invisible world being very much connected to it. These energies that we speak of, that we are, maybe those are people who are a lot more sensitive to those energies.
2: Yeah. One of the things they would do back then if they wanted to, to um, get back at somebody or or whatever it would be to create a, a a doll, what is called an effigy doll, a voodoo doll, or an effigy doll, where they would stick pins in it and things like that. And apparently, people believed that sort of thing back then. And and so you know, belief, and that's one of the one of the points I make in my book is belief is very very strong. And when you really believe something, it works. You know, and so people who thought that witchcraft was real. And that someone was uh, cursing them, whatever, would really, you know, have the symptoms from it. So,
0: Yeah, I'll be asking you more questions about belief systems and the power of it. What can it do to us, which is so true. Another open question is about reincarnation. You mentioned earlier that word, too. So how does it work? If everything is energy, this is just... A, a different, let's say, uh, manifestations, different forms being manifested here and there's no really, it's it's free, energy is free, it's not really bounded to anything. So I wonder how reincarnation works, that sense of continuation of that solid
2: me the I. Yeah, this is something that's been studied for about 60 years now by the University of Virginia School of Medicine. A, Division of Perceptual Studies in that uh, School of Medicine, and they have been studying uh, children's memories of past lives. They now have over 2,500 cases that they've studied, and they have come to the conclusion, based on that and other research they've done, that the brain does not create consciousness, that the brain is a receptor of consciousness, like your TV set receives signals and, you know, translates it into a picture and sound. Or your cell phone take, captures a signal and turns it in, back into sound. And and that uh, is really what the brain does. And the brain, of course, integrates it with your body so that you can use your hands and fingers and, and your eyes and all that work through that. But that really um, your consciousness exists somewhere else. It's really in a non, non-physical non kind of realm and uh you you have an etheric body a spiritual body that always exists and when human body dies or any living thing dies that spirit goes back into the uh the non-physical realm and exists there in a life between lives and that's basically uh What happens for most people, and there are different things that can happen during that in-between life, but for the typical individual, the common thing is for them to uh, review their past life and the mistakes they made, and they actually have a life review where they see all the things that they did and what, what the effect of those things was, what they said and what they did and how that affected others and how others felt because of it, and At some point, uh, they decide they want to return and maybe uh, learn a new lesson or make amends for something they did before or to, you know, for whatever reason. And typically, they uh, choose the parents and the location and the circumstances they're born into because it fits what they want to do or find out or accomplish during that lifetime. And according, I'm a... Rosicrucian Adept, which is uh, Rosicrucians is a mystical society that studies metaphysical laws. And one of the things they believe, and I think it's probably pretty correct, uh, is that typically uh, the life uh, between lives is about 140 years. So if you're alive for 70 years, you're going to be in between life for about 70 years. Now that can vary Greatly. And, and according to the University of Virginia study on these children who have memories of past lives, some of them come back very quickly. In fact, the average child that remembers the previous life is only 15 months from, from the uh, previous death. That's how it works, uh, if you see what I mean.
0: Is that something that, like for you, it has become a belief system or something that is an intellectual understanding of how... Life, reincarnation works, or you have actually experienced that.
2: Well, it started out uh, back when I was in my mid twenties, which was a long time ago. I had a, uh, I had an out of body, a kind near death experience, and I was very quick. I didn't even know what they were back then. Never heard of it, and I was a materialist. I believed that. that when you die, that was it; you were dead. But then, when I saw, when I was out of my body and I looked at myself down on on the bed, you know, sprawled out like roadkill, I thought, "My goodness, how can I be up here looking down at my body? Because my brain's in there, and it's what creates consciousness." And so, well, maybe I guess the brain doesn't create consciousness, and that that was what started me on this quest. So, to answer your question, I would say uh, I have studied this thing from a scientific kind of perspective and have come have developed a belief system have changed completely from what i thought then to what i the way i think things work now but because of that intellectual knowing i i have developed a confidence or a knowing that this is the way things are and i have been spent some time at the school of metaphysics where they have psychics who do all kinds of Things you know about finding about what your past lives were, and I, there are a couple of them that I do recall now. I don't recall the whole thing, but I recall important parts of several of my past lives. Now that, uh, but it, it didn't start that way. It came as a result of what I believed intellectually, and became open to the possibility, and, and it came after that.
0: That is so fascinating that some of us are open or have experience with this progression or this um, different level of consciousness. Uh, some of us are interested on the topic and some of us never do. We'll just live this life very much unaware or uninterested.
2: Well, that's true. It is, you know, I think the reason for that a lot of times is that's what we're taught in school. Uh, the science that is still taught today is scientific materialism, which was developed back in the mid 19th century. It's over 150 years old and they're still teaching it in school and it makes no sense. Anybody who's studied uh, quantum mechanics knows it's not true and yet they continue to teach it. And so that's when you grow up with parents like I did, who believe that, and then you go to school and that's what you're taught in science class. It's natural for you to think that all that exists is material substance, but it's, it's a, it's not it's not true. It's it's a lie. And I think we're changing. I have seen over the last 10 or 15 years where there are fewer and fewer people that I talk to who will challenge me on that or say, oh, no, you know, it can't possibly be because that's not what science tells us. I don't hear that much anymore. I think I think we're changing. I think people are waking up, and I'm glad. That sounds
0: wonderful to me. Speaking of belief systems, yeah, change in those patterns, right? So, an open question about your book is: What was the intention and purpose of writing your book, Stephen, *The Witch of Amesbury*?
2: Yeah, I grew up in this uh, in a family that was, uh, as I have already said, uh, some, they were scientific materialists. But they were my mother, in particular, was kind of an anti. I guess you'd say she was an anti-Christian fundamentalist. She really kind of would, you know, she talked about Bible thumpers and stuff. And one of the things that really got in her under her skin was the idea that uh, we, we had this ancestor. Actually, it was her husband's ancestor, my father's ancestor, Susanna North Martin, who was tried and convicted for witchcraft and hanged. And, uh, it you know, my mother was c- even though she, you know, I'm she was born in 1906. So she, this was in the f- 1950s when I was growing up. Uh, not there wasn't much in the way of woman's lib back then, but I would say my mom was a woman's libber because she had a job and she was successful and it really uh, made her <laughs> upset that this is the way uh you know what religion had done to her father her husband's ancestor and so I grew up hearing all that and I heard stories about it and there were family lore about it and so it finally decided I needed to really find out what happened. And I'd already done all this research on uh, the true nature of reality and reincarnation and so forth. So I I approached it with that knowledge. And it's amazing how much information exists. Uh, There's a website that has all the... Transcripts of the trials, all the depositions that were taken before the trials, uh, a lot of information uh, from eyewitnesses on what occurred, and I studied all that. It just really was to find out what the truth was, and I I think that this book is as close to the truth about what happened as you'll find. Because it's not going to, it's not going to tell you what the standard historical commentary on it is, which. these children were telling lies about people and making this whole thing up. I don't think they made it all up. I do think there was some paranormal stuff going on. And I think a big part of that had to do with their belief system back then, which I go into, because they believed all this stuff. And, when, and we've already touched on when you believe something strongly and it's part, it's in your unconscious mind – it works. Whatever it is you believe, you know your beliefs become your reality. So there you go. That's what my one of the one of the outcomes I think of this uh, book uh, that I.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. A, a very powerful message that I believe in. If it is a belief system, that whatever we think and cultivate in our minds and actions, yeah, I mean the thoughts become actions. So they make sense. So they they are connected to belief systems. The other question I have is about the connection between being someone who is related to Susanna, the woman who was accused of witchcraft, and, and your career in advertising.
2: Well, you know, that's an excellent question. Thank you for asking that. It's, uh, you know, when you grow up realizing that you are descended from somebody like that who was accused by the authorities, was tried and convicted. And and it was all, you know, what it does is you don't necessarily take authority all that seriously. And that's certainly the way I am. I don't accept anything that's anybody says on face value. I want to find out for myself. I don't just go along with uh, whatever the popular idea is or what people think nowadays or whatever. I want to find out my, for myself. And what that has done for me is make me kind of a nonconformist. And I think you need to be a little bit of a nonconformist if you're going to be able to create advertising or books or anything creative that's going to break through the clutter of all the, everything that's out there. You have to uh, not just buy into the conventional wisdom. You've got to Uh, you've got to be able to step outside that and look at things in a different way. And so that's, I believe, what it did for me that is very important. And that's why I say Susanna uh, is the matriarch of an advertising dynasty because my father was in the advertising business, my mother was in the advertising business, my brother was in the advertising business, and I've got three children who are – uh, well, two of them are in the advertising business and one of them is studying advertising in school and he's already got a job offer that he's going to take when he graduates this coming June. So, and, and it'll be in the business. So, there you go. That's She's the uh, matriarch of an advertising dynasty.
0: Another question I have for you is about women. More women were accused of witchcraft back then
2: than men. Many more, yeah.
0: Yeah, do you know why that was the case? Yeah,
2: I'd, well, for one thing, uh, women were viewed as, they were kind of class citizens, so let's face it. They were also seen as more emotional, more, you know, more likely, more uh, likely to be, interested in Satan because, of, you know, some sort of a sexual attraction. And they were also just not supposed to be able to do anything on their own. And one of the things that got my uh, ancestor Susanna in trouble was that she, at the time of this witchcraft hysteria that went went around, she was in her early 70s and yet she was running a farm by herself and she was successful with it and they didn't think that would be possible for a woman to do and uh, and yet you know and so she had to chop the wood and plow the fields or whatever you do on a farm and so they figured she had to be using witchcraft and, and that was one of the th- one of the things that got her in trouble and it was because women were looked up were more looked down upon i guess at least by men and uh, <laughs> you, know, I, you know when you think about it Women didn't get the vote in the United States until 1920. They weren't allowed to vote. Uh, I think Europe, European countries like France, it was 1926 or something like that. I mean, so women aren't viewed that way anymore, and I'm, and that's great. I'm glad. But back then, they were. And so as you mentioned, many more women, much. I think there were only two men that I know of who were accused of witchcraft— And all the rest, and there were over 150 uh, all totaled who were accused. There were something like 19 who were executed, including my uh, seven-times great-grandmother.
0: I know it has changed, of course, from that time to now, but we still have lots of challenges.
2: Yeah, well, there's still glass ceilings and things certain certain areas, and but they're getting broken all the time, and I think that's good. I'm a, I'm a feminist. I grew up. My mother, grandmother, and sister really raised me. My brother would, went away to college when I was four years old, and my uh, father died when I was seven. So uh, those three ladies raised me, and I uh, you know I believe they could do anything anybody could do.
0: It seems to me that women, we, we hold this wisdom of unity. We're more open to it. It seems to me, feels like, it might not be reality, but it really feels like from all the men that I have been around and all the women that I have been around, I see that women are more sensitive.
2: I think the women tend to be, well, I may be mm-hmm. wrong too, but I <laughs> tend to be more spiritual. I think part of it has to do with having a childbirth. There's something mystical about that, about how all that works, how the you know the spirit comes through them, the body in them come. You know that whole thing is very. I don't know. It's something spiritual about it, uh, and I think you know women are much more co- closer to that than men, and so I think that's a big part of it.
0: Another question I have that I would love to explore with you is the belief systems. We know how powerful they are and how they can affect us in so many ways, uh, in good and bad ways. So, how do we, for ourselves even, how do we learn to uncover them, those unconscious belief systems, and how do we replace them with new ones that can serve ourselves and others? So, serve humanity per se?
2: Well, that's an excellent question. And what I, we all have belief systems. And uh, a lot of times we don't even realize consciously what our beliefs are because they've been formed when we were very young. Usually most of your beliefs were formed before you were seven years old, according to psychologists and psychiatrists. And so you don't even remember what was that uh, caused you to have a belief and it's buried in what i call the unconscious mind which is not the same thing as the con- subconscious mind the unconscious mind is part of your conscious mind but it's something it's like when you're driving a car and you don't think about you know you have to put the brake on put it in park, you know, put it in drive, if you turn the key, you just do all that stuff automatically. And you could be driving down the road, to play, uh, to, you know, going in the direction you normally go and make a turn, or at least I do, uh, and I make a turn and I realize, hey, that's not where I wanted to go today, <laughs> but it was because I usually go turn on that road. You know, it's part of, it's in my subconscious mind, unconscious mind, I should say. So the unconscious stores those beliefs and That programming that has been built up in you since birth, and it uh, causes you to make a turn when you shouldn't because you're not consciously thinking what what you ought to do. But it also causes you to react to things in certain ways because you have a belief buried in there that you might not even be conscious of. Uh, Let's say you think that you're a victim. You know that people are out to get you because of your skin color because you're a woman or what for whatever reason and so you may not even recognize an opportunity that comes along to to um, be successful in something because your subconscious mind just ignore it causes you to ignore it just like when you make that turn you shouldn't make so how do you get in there and figure out what those uh, erroneous beliefs are that are causing you problems what you do is when you react to something and you let's say somebody you know says something and you you have a reaction to it it's because of a belief that's in there and what you need to do is realize that and then try to drill down to find out what the core belief is that uh, that caused that reaction rather than lashing out or whatever why did you react that way? That's what you need to ask yourself. And a little while ago, we talked about the silent observer who can step back and look at these things. And then so you, you drill down to figure out what it is that causes you to react that way and bring, if you can, through meditation or whatever, what was it that brought that about originally. What caused that belief to happen? Was it something that your Uncle Charlie did to you when you were three or four years old? You know, whatever it was, you need to bring that to the surface, look at it and feel the emotion you felt then and then let it go and say, okay, that's the past, that's the wake of the boat and I'm the pilot of the boat so I can go where I want and the wake is gone behind me and get rid of it that way. In my newest book, which is uh, Life After Book Book Two, uh, find achieve joy in now and uh, bliss in the afterlife. I go into all this about uh, their couple. That's the what I just described as the feminine way to do that uh, purging of false beliefs. There is also a masculine way that I explain in that book. Not to say that you know, that women do it one way and men do it another. It's just a different approach. And I think it's good to use both of them. I particularly prefer the masculine way, which is more the logic and, you know, kind of way than than the feeling kind of way. But uh, anyhow, yeah, that's, that's an overview of how, how you can go about it. Do you think that by...
0: Exploring these unconscious beliefs and bringing them to surface, and then uh, kind of integrating them, do we become more creative?
2: I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do think we become more creative because it frees us up. You know, where when we have these beliefs, it's kind of builds walls around us. You know, we we won't even we don't even see things as I mentioned earlier that are there a lot of times that could. Uh, make a big difference to us if we would just be open to it, and so absolutely, it makes us more uh, ability, gives us the ability to be more creative. Let me put it that way. Yeah,
0: yeah, I do, I do think the same way, and I love the word you use, open. So we become more open, create more space to see more and to realize what's happening from that perspective. Another comment you made was about feelings. So going, exploring from that uh, masculine approach is more rational, which kind of attracts me too for some reason. But I tend to believe that everything is feelings. What is beyond feelings,
2: Stephen? Well, you know, feelings are really connected with beliefs and you can, this is an area that uh, makes it difficult a lot of times to jettison uh, a belief that's not doing you any good, is that you have to not only intellectually know or logically know that the belief is erroneous, you have to feel it, you know <laughs> because something happens and you have a feeling, and that's telling you that you've got a core belief. That's bringing about that feeling. so you've you've got to change your feelings as well as your beliefs, because as long as you you may be able to say, well, logically, you're right. That doesn't make sense. But it I still feel this way. Well, then you haven't changed. You've got to you've got to go after the feelings too. And that's where the feminine approach. Is probably more effective and faster, because if you can get down to what caused that feeling in the first place and bring it out and feel it, but then let it go, uh, it's you can get rid of it faster or almost and immediately, really. Whereas with the masculine approach of logic, it takes time and you have to kind of fake it until you feel it. If you see what I mean.
0: Wow. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. So uh, you are connecting belief systems or beliefs to feelings and uh, logical thinking to experiences and facts almost being based in, in this concrete reality. So what comes to mind is, what is beyond experience? So everything's an experience, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, that's what life is about, uh, experiences. And I think that's that's why we come here. I, in as my understanding in the in the non-physical realm before and after life our feelings and our beliefs create our reali- uh, reality immediately here in this reality because it's much denser and we're, you know, in physical bodies and everything around us is physical, even though it's really energy. It takes much longer. But your beliefs and your feelings do create your reality. It just takes more time. And so, so by coming here, once we realize that, we can learn and and we can advance spiritually and, and climb to a higher level of consciousness because of that slowdown here, you know, that we can see, we can uh, realize what's going on. Whereas when it, when we're in the non-physical realm, it happens instantly. It's like, you know, there's no time to think about it. So there, uh, that that's, I think the experience is the primary reason we come into this reality to experience it and over a period of time. In fact, time doesn't exist as we know it here, in the non-physical realm, here time is a dimension, and we learn we have to learn patience, and we have to learn to uh, create our reality through our actions and our thoughts and our beliefs.
0: In time is uh, actually it's a human construct, isn't it? It's something yeah. that serves us because we need that.
2: Um. yeah, it's what the it's the big difference about this reality one of the big differences about the this reality and and other realities is that time is a dimension. We're like we're standing in a river and uh, the river is time and it's going past us. We're always in we're always in the now, but there's a before and there's an after whereas in the other realms it's all at once everything is at once.
0: one more question for you about freedom enlightenment liberation what would that be stephen
2: i think freedom enlightenment liberation is is really understanding who you are and who you are at the core and who you are at the core it, you are the source some people want to say God, but you are this ground of reality that is being expressed through this person that you, this identity that you've taken on in this, in this lifetime. But when you realize that at your very core, you are that source having this experience. And when you realize that, it changes the way you look at, the world and how you look at others because they are the source too i think you know if you you can look at other people and look them in the eye and see the creator there and look in the mirror and look at yourself and see the creator creator there it just changes how you deal with the world how you feel about life and and what you do with it so, you know, things things be, that were important before don't seem so important now. Uh, and things that you didn't even think about before become very important. It just changes you. I love your work. I love your message. I love everything you say because it resonates true.
0: It resonates with me, with whatever this is, life itself, yeah, doing what it does. Thank you so much, Stephen, for being you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And I hope people come to my website and take a look at my books, shmartin.com, S-H-M-A-R-T-I-N.com.
0: Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. And before we go, would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book?
2: Oh, no, I don't think so. But I I do. uh, We'll let people know that When you come to my website, shmartin.com, as you said, it'll be in the uh, write-up. At the top of the page, there's a menu that says books. Click on that and you'll see them all. You can click on the cover of anyone and find out more about it. Maybe read the first chapter or two and uh, see what you want to get out of that. So there you go. That's what I like people to know.
0: Yeah, thank you again for what you do, how you do it. I love the expression of you in this reality. I have one more question for you. The last question. What is another word for magic?
2: Hmm. Magic. Another word for magic. Gosh, it's uh, I think magic comes about because of belief. If you believe strongly enough, you know, I think it was Jesus who said, Uh, you could move mountains with your belief, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So believe that you already have it and it's on its way in that case. And that's what he said. So, yeah.
0: So magic equals to believe, which could be faith translated as trust, faith, and then the experience of life. I love to believe that this is uh, what's happening here is magic itself. <laughs> being it It's fulfillment, right? Being a human body, talking yeah. about. But I mean, it, this is amazing. Thank you so much again, Stephen. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take good care. Bye
1: for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Stephen Hawley Martin and his work, please visit shmartin.com and